there are two universal life experiences that all humans share. We're all born and we all die. For birth, it's one of the most celebrated life events shared by all customs, cultures, and religions. For death, in many areas, certainly in Western cultures, it is often taboo to discuss, to talk openly about, and it leaves many of us in a position who have been on that journey and have bad, been battling or continue to battle the feelings of grief associated with death and loss. It can be very isolating. And I want to talk about that. And I want to start this podcast really with a trigger warning that uh, this is going to be a different format than what you're used to with Redefining HR. Um, there will be no guests. There will be no conversations specifically of innovative HR and people programs. Um, this is going to be covering topics ranging from death and grief and addiction and COVID and long COVID and the intersection of a lot of those things. And it is a topic that some of you will certainly be uncomfortable with. And some of you may be experiencing feelings related to any one of those things that this podcast in particular may be upsetting for you. And so if that may be you, uh, I really think that you should, you know, take a pass on this episode, come back in two weeks when our regular scheduling uh, interview formats kick back off again. So uh, please be kind to yourself and uh, make that choice uh, if that's what's best for you. The idea for this podcast came as I was preparing for what has now become an annual tribute to my brother Kai. Kai died in 2015 uh, after struggles with opioid abuse and addiction and mental health challenges. And in the last couple of years, you know, the, the week and the day of his death, um, I've tried to dedicate myself towards shining a light on the struggles of addiction, the disease of addiction, um, and really trying to kind of, you know, humanize um, what addiction is for both those who are battling addiction themselves and those who love them and are experiencing, uh, you know, having their families be torn apart by such a brutal disease. And as I was thinking about that this year, I started thinking about it also in the context of grief. Certainly my own grief based on my own experiences with death and loss, but also the collective grief that I think we as humans are carrying after over two years of COVID and isolation and so much of the ways that this is had an impact on our lives. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because we don't talk about that. As I mentioned in the opener, there is this taboo, certainly in Western cultures, about grief and death. It's hard. We don't want to talk about it. We don't know what to say when we 
have people who we know who have lost loved ones. We don't know how to comfort them. We don't know what the right words are that can bring them peace. And because of the taboo, you know, so often that paralyzes us and we don't try. And it makes the experience for those grieving even more difficult because, you know, loss and grief in and of itself is incredibly isolating. Um, but when you're trying to process all of those emotions while also feeling, uh, you know, isolated and or even ostracized from the people you care about, um, that can be really difficult. It can compound that experience. And I get it. It's hard, right? How, what do you say to somebody who lost a, a parent, a sibling, a, a child, uh, a partner, a loved one, right? What words will ease that suffering? Um, and the reality is they, there really aren't specific words that will ever do that. But I think certainly speaking from experience and talking with others who've been through this journey, um, the effort being made uh, can, can help that individual who is grieving feel less alone. And as a society, we're collectively feeling quite alone in the wake of a humanity-shaping global pandemic. And I want to spend a minute there because, you know, according to the World Health Organization, we've lost over six and a half million lives to COVID-19 over the last two and a half years. Over a million in the United States alone. In 2021, it was the third leading cause of death in the U.S., according to the CDC. And when you think about this, you know, those are, you know, 6.5 global humans. Those are over 1 million in the U.S. humans who their loss has a ripple effect, right? Their loss is a tragedy, but their loss is utter heartbreak for all of those who love them. And when you think about it, almost like you throw a rock in a pond and you see that ripple effect happen, that's happening with all the lives who are impacted by those lives that are lost. And the COVID grief itself is not even limited to death. The, according to the World Health Organization, again, 17 million Europeans experienced long COVID during the first two years of the pandemic. Uh, recent research from the Brookings Institute shows that long COVID may be keeping 4 million people out of work in the United States alone. Right? These numbers are significant. And the grief that comes with the loss of life and, uh, and, and outlook and capabilities and lifestyle that relates to those suffering from long COVID is also very real and very significant. And it's reached a point that even within the U.S., there was a, a historic um, announcement uh, just recently that the cumulative mental health and emotional toll of the past two years uh, led, there's a group called the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, and they're a group of medical experts that advise on public health policy. 
and they issued a first-time recommendation that doctors screen all adult patients under 65 for anxiety. You know, these struggles are real and they're tangible and grief is one of many emotions that make that up. But it's something that is, is certainly part of our reality today. And this is not a regional phenomenon. You know, uh, more data from the World Health Organization cited a 25% increase in anxiety and depression worldwide since the pandemic. And you think about these things in the context of life, as we should, but you also, you know, there's an element of thinking about this in the context of work. And, you know, there's a, a study I was reading from McKinsey uh, about the costs of unresolved grief, and it puts the estimate in the billions of the amount of dollars lost in productivity and performance each year. Uh, they found that up to one third of senior executives uh, actually are actively struggling with unresolved grief and they created kind of a bottom line impact of that. There was another study from an educational foundation in California that estimated the cost of grief in the workplace at $75 billion. And this coincides with a period of time in, in the world of work and in HR where I think that we are um, thinking much more progressively about mental health and how we support employees who are struggling and how we, you know, maybe look differently at our programs and policies to better uh, support a range of mental health scenarios. And, you know, in preparing for this piece, I had reached out to my network on LinkedIn uh, about, you know, resources that have helped them through periods of grief. And, you know, so many of them shared stories uh, in the context of grief at work, you know, ranging from uh, employers who were phenomenal at taking care of them and giving them all the time they needed to employees who expected them to be back at work within two days of losing a parent. And everywhere in between, you know, I think when you look at bereavement policies in the world of work, they're all over the place. You know, some are, are very supportive and clearly are designed in a, a people first way. Um, you know, others assign weight of the loss, right? Uh, was this a birth parent? Was it a grandparent? Were they an uncle or an aunt, right? As if the pain that you feel is uh, weighted based on the um, specific definition of the relationship that you shared with that individual. And, you know, I think a lot of this conversation is in the context of grief. But there's another element of this as well, which is pre-grieving. Um, any of you who have, you know, taken care of sick parents uh, or a sick friend or loved one know what that is. That process can be days, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years where you know what that outcome will be and you're doing everything you can to try to support that person as best you can. Um, but there's only so much you could do and it may be a prognosis that there is no ultimate recovery or full recovery from. And so pre-grieving is another aspect of this that is very real and something that we rarely talk about. Um, you know, I think companies are doing a better job as a whole of looking at things like 
mental health support, grief counseling, and more. Um, but there's a lot more that we can do. And I think especially you, you kind of think about these different grief journeys that people experience and they're all different and they're all subjective. And even within one person, their grief journey, different scenarios is going to be different. And I think that it is important that we talk about grief, that we talk about death, that we try to remove some of the taboo and stigma associated with loss. And I'm going to share my own story in an effort to just bring a bit of humanity and perspective to what that journey is like. When I was five years old, my mother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, as a five-year-old, of course, I had no idea what that meant. And I had never had an experience with a progressive degenerative disease. And, you know, it started off with a bit of uh, impaired walking, impaired motor function. And by the time I was a freshman in high school, she was a quadriplegic. It had lost the use of her both legs and, you know, for the most part, uh, her right arm. And she had a little bit of usage of her left arm, um, which was fantastic because she was a voracious reader and it allowed her to still do that. You know, growing up in an environment where you are watching a parent uh, wither away like that, lose their their motor skills, lose their uh, physical faculties, is is such a difficult experience. Especially, you know, in my case with a disease like MS that is uh, is gradually progressive, right? So day over day, you're not really noticing as much of a decline. You know, week over week, month over month certainly you you see that more. And so, you know, I'm a freshman in high school and I'm taking care of my mom. My dad is working, my brother was in the Navy. And, you know, that seeing that up close, seeing her deterioration, um, it it I knew what she was going through. I knew what she was experiencing. Um, she was also one of the strongest people I've ever known. So even on our hardest days, you know, she never felt sorry for herself. And I think for me, you know, it it created uh, a coping mechanism of compartmentalization, right? I, I didn't want her to ever see me sad or upset, uh, and so I found ways to 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 bury that, to hide that, to you know, kind of tuck that away so that I could be brave and strong for her and you know, realized decades later the, you know, the, the damage and mental health, uh, you know, challenges that that created, you know, for me, even as a boy, thanks to, you know, therapy, and I'll get more into that. But I think ultimately when she finally passed, it was a relief. She had been suffering for, for many years. And when she was no longer suffering it, I knew that she was was just in a place where she she was free. And I'm not particularly religious. There wasn't a, uh, you know, religious um, feeling that I had that she was in a, a better place in a spiritual sense, but I knew that uh, not being in this realm and suffering the way that she was, was a relief. And, you know, it was interesting. When she died, uh, my father had a, a celebration of life ceremony. And I distinctly remember this, you know, we, we had it at our house, uh, 
we had lots of people over and they were celebrating her life, right? They were, they were toasting to her, they were drinking, they were laughing. Um, and I didn't get it. I was, I was mad. I was angry. I was hurt. I couldn't understand why people were celebrating. And I think in time, certainly now as an adult, I get it, but I think I didn't have the, the skills to process the grief that I was experiencing at that time. In the weeks and months after my mom died and I was kind of processing that grief, um, it was an interesting experience. You know, I, I, on the one side, I felt very much at peace because I knew that she wasn't suffering anymore. Um, and the other side, of course, I missed her. Um, it was interesting. I, I remember after she died, I would be sitting outside somewhere and a bird would fly up to me and sit nearby and just kind of look at me. And I was like, is that, is that my mom? Is that a sign from my mom? And I just found all of these little moments that, um, you know, we're bittersweet, but we're probably more sweet at the time because I think I was just at a place where I was at peace knowing that she was at peace. Um, and so life went on. Uh, my father remarried to a, a tremendous woman uh, with two sons. So, you know, our family grew through that. And, um, you know, managing that grief was, was actually, certainly there was moments um, that, that took me back and hurt and, you know, the certain memories, holidays, birthdays, uh, certain songs, right. That were just kind of encoded in my brain to have me think of, of her and that, that brought sadness. But for the most part, you know, I was able to, to, to move on. Um, and, you know, uh, a few years later, uh, after that, my father was diagnosed with cancer and, you know, the cancer was in his pancreas, uh, and lungs and it spread, um, pretty quickly. Uh, and so he, you know, I was kind of in this place again of, uh, you know, pre-mourning and pre-grief. And he took treatment, he went to chemo, he did all the things that he needed to do to try to, you know, fight the cancer off. Um, but ultimately it was, it was too far along. And, uh, you know, at the time he was in South Florida where I was, where I grew up, I was living in LA. Uh, I was trying to travel back and forth. Um, and, I, you know, in talking to him, I could see it was taking its toll on his body and eventually it, it took its toll on his will. And I think that he, at some point, kind of got to the point where he realized that uh, there was no, there was no recovery. Um, there was no coming back. And I saw that in him and that, that hurt. And again, I just, I'm a son. I just don't want to lose him. I'm doing everything I can to try to get him to stay in the fight. Um, but ultimately he wanted to go out on his terms and, um, decided, you know, to get off, uh, chemo and, you know, let, let fate, uh, run its course. You know, it was really hard, obviously knowing what that outcome would be. Um, so I did my best to, you know, get to Florida as much as I could and spend time with him. And, you know, I, I will never forget the last 
time uh, I visited him last time we spent together. Uh, when we said goodbye at the end of that trip, we both knew it was goodbye. We held each other. We cried a lot. And we said goodbye. And looking back, I think the closure of that loss in that moment was something that I feel so fortunate to have had with him. And so after my dad's death, that certainly hit me um, differently. The, that, that grief uh, journey was much different than it was with my mom. You know, at that point, I'm a, a grown-up orphan and I've lost both my parents. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a real, you know, pain that comes with that, right? Losing, losing a parent is brutal. Um, losing both, uh, right? Both early, right? I mean, I, I didn't get to see my parents grow old. Um, my parents didn't get to meet my children. You know, and that's something that, uh, you know, is just, is always hard. But you, you pick up, you know, life goes on. It's, it's never the same, but it does go on. And, you know, I think being in that, you know, is a new chapter of grief for me, right? I had lost both parents and, you know, one I, I had made peace with at this point. It was 10 years after my mom had passed and, um, you know, certainly had made peace with that grief and then losing my dad that, you know, that was certainly a setback and it changed my relationship with, with grief and, uh, you know, just how to uh, adjust to that. And, you know, it's interesting. I think when you're, when you're living with grief, um, and especially I think for those of you that have had experiences with grief that, um, certainly still bubble up at random and inopportune times. Uh, I remember distinctly when I was uh, running Talent Innovation at NPR, we had a uh, team offsite and uh, the, the facilitator came in and they're doing this kind of get to know exercise and they had a map up and, you know, they asked everybody to point to uh, where on the map they're from. And it was my turn and I got up and I couldn't do it. You know, such a, a simple exercise of just pointing to a map and I just, I lost it. I ugly cried in front of my entire team. You know, I had to step away. It, uh, it came out of nowhere. It, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, grief, I think. Certainly those of you who've uh, experienced it and kind of carry those feelings, it, it can just come uh, uh, sometimes, you know, there's, there's triggers that, you know, may bring it like, you know, holidays and birthdays or, you know, uh, locations that maybe you shared or songs or other things like that. And sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. And, you know, that was certainly one of those times for me. Um, you know, luckily the, you know, team was, was great and they understood and, um, you know, but it was just one of those moments where, uh, I, I realized again that there's, there's the ability to have, uh, you know, kind of a, a relationship with grief where you're, 
you're in control and, uh, you know, there's lots of scenarios where you're not, and that's just part of that process. Um, and so, you know, that was, uh, that was, that was, a, an experience that was certainly burned into my brain. Um, you know, after my dad died, my, my brother, and my dad were really close and, you know, my brother had an injury at work that he, um, was prescribed opioids to deal with. And like millions, um, you know, that grew into an addiction. And five years after my dad died, my brother tragically died from opioid abuse. And, you know, this was something different. This was, this was unexpected. Um, this was sudden. It, it rocked me. It still does. That suddenness, that that shock, that lack of closure is a a type of grief that I had never experienced. I felt after losing both parents, um, you know, I I kind of knew what to expect, but I boy was I wrong. I had made peace with my parents' death. Uh, if I'm honest, I'm still working through Kai's. Now, I went through a few rounds of therapy uh, after my dad's death and after Kai's. And, um, you know, some therapists I, f- I found helpful, some I didn't. I definitely strongly recommend therapy for anybody who's experiencing grief. Um, but, you know, having that right match and connection, I think, is really important. And, you know, I, I want, do want to share one piece of advice that uh, a therapist gave me as I was kind of working through my grief with Kai. And they mentioned that, you know, a lot of times when you're processing grief, um, you can tend to, especially for somebody like me who, you know, learned how to compartmentalize those feelings, you know, when my mom was sick, um, that they are, you know, those emotions can get tucked away. And then and an event like that workshop I mentioned in NPR can can suddenly, you know, trigger them. And they use the analogy of kind of bursting that balloon and everything comes rushing out. And so um, they gave me an exercise where, you know, you intentionally on a a somewhat, you know, regular, it doesn't have to be like daily, but maybe every couple of weeks, um, burst your balloon. You you make yourself go there and sit in those feelings um, and experience them. Uh, but you, you are more in control in that way. You bring them out. And so for me, you know, I have a deep kind of musical connection to each of these experiences with my family. Uh, and I created a playlist and I call it the bubble playlist. And when I need to be in those feelings, I play that and boy, it, uh, it works. And so I think a lot of People, frankly, especially men, I don't mean to, uh, you know, gender stereotype here, but, you know, a lot of men are grown up to, are taught to suppress their feelings and emotions. And that can kill you. It literally can kill you. And finding ways to tap into that and express that and, um, you know, that's okay. And it's something you should do. And so, especially any of you listening right now who may be in that position and, you know, you, you, you don't allow yourself to go there and be in those feelings. Like, please like 
do that. And that will, it, it, it helps, it helps you to kind of go back uh, to those feelings. It helps to kind of free some of that, um, you know, pent up grief that, that sits inside of you. And so um, burst those bubbles. Don't be afraid to do that. I think that that is definitely great advice that I got in my own grief journey and, and I would recommend. So, you know, I wanted to, to share this post, to share my story um, really with a, an intent to kind of normalize these conversations. We're all grieving. We all have pain and loss, especially over la- after the last couple of years that we carry. You know, keeping that bottle up inside of you will, will tear you apart. And, and not being in a place, like really my aim with this is kind of normalizing some of these conversations about grief and loss because they're so real. Uh, they're part of the human experience. And the taboo around them, you know, much like addiction is something that we just don't talk about and don't cover. And that in and of itself can be incredibly isolating. So as I prepare for the tribute, um, you know, post on the anniversary of Kai's death, I I wanted to spend some time with this special episode talking about grief um, and, you know, really hoping to to normalize these kinds of conversations, but also to help those of you out there who are struggling. Um, One of the things that I really wanted to do with this podcast and this post was to curate a range of resources, articles, books, podcasts, uh, so many other things that um, I have personally found helpful and uh, you know, uh, friends and people through my network have shared with me as uh, being great resources that have helped them through periods of grief. And so uh, if you're listening to this, definitely go to the blog post on AmplifyTalent.com and view all of the resources because um, again, you know, if you're experiencing grief, if you've, if you've recently experienced loss, you know, A, my heart goes out to you. I know what that journey is like. And, um, you know, I'm deeply sorry, but uh, know that you're not alone and know that uh, these are some resources that may be helpful guides to you when you're on this journey. So that is, uh, that's a wrap to this podcast. I, I appreciate the opportunity and the platform uh, that I have to to share, you know, my story, but also to share some love and support with anybody out there who is uh, going through their own struggles with grief and loss and just all the things that come with that. So um, I hope you found this helpful. Uh, definitely take a look at the resources in the blog post if you're looking for additional support and help and, um, you know, know that you're not alone in this journey. Thanks so much.